My name is Jim Fleming, and uh, I teach a Sunday school class at the Hickson campus. Been a member here at Stewart Heights almost 15 years, and it's good to see several of you today. Wave back, Freeman. There we go. All right, now he's awake. Got to wake Freeman up every once in a while. He kind of dozes off. That's what Miss Birdie does well. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, if you would. The staff approached me last week and asked me to come and speak today, and I'm excited to be here and honored and uh, ready to go this morning. I have a new appreciation for speaking three times in a row as well, so that's amazing. It's an amazing feat that they do each week. Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. It's got a listing of just a tremendous number of famous Bible characters, and I want to start in verse 1, and we'll kind of skip through, and then we'll park toward the end of the chapter there for a little while. So verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And then starting in verse 4, we see this list of celebrities. Verse 4, by faith Abel. Verse 5, by faith Enoch. Verse 7, by faith Noah. Verse 8, by faith Abraham. Verse 11, by faith Sarah. Verse 17, by faith Abraham again. Verse 20, by faith Isaac. Verse 21, by faith Jacob. Verse 22, by faith Joseph. 23, by faith Moses. 24, by faith Moses again. 31, by faith the harlot Rahab. In verse 32, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David. And I want you to see how famous this list of people is, that David is an also. That's a joke. Stay with me, guys. It's going to be a long day if you do this to me, okay? Any list where King David is an also is a pretty impressive list. So, and David and Samuel and the prophets, verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life, and everybody said... Oh, that was weak. Do I need to read it again? Everybody said? This is incredible stuff. We wouldn't believe it if it wasn't in the Bible. But it is, and it's true, and it's beautiful. And everything in Hebrews chapter 11 switches and gets flipped on its head with that period after the dead were raised to life again. Because right in the middle of verse 35 is a word that I want you to circle if you have a hard copy of the Bible. It says, others. Others were tortured. Well, that doesn't sound incredible. Not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. That doesn't sound incredible. Yes, in chains and imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. That means what it says it means. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And my question for you is, what were their names? What were their names? What does the Bible say? They're others. They're the others. 
And the others actually constitute the vast majority of everybody who's mentioned in Scripture. Because these great heroes of the faith that led thousands and sometimes millions of people had others following. So if I wanted to split Hebrews chapter 11 up into two groups, this is how I would do it. The first group would be, here's your first blank if you're a blank filler outer. The first group would be, God gave faithful heroes. And these are the folks that are named in Scripture, right? That beautiful list of all these miracles. And if you grew up in a church like I grew up in, these people had flannel graph status. You know what I'm talking about? You may remember flannel graph? We're going to look at some great moments in flannel graph history this morning. Okay? Absolutely. You knew something was going to be goofy, right? Jim's here. Hey, Gary's at Soddy Daisy. Daryl and Brian are out of the country. Nobody has to know what we do today. All right? Nobody has to know. So great moments in flannel graph history. Now, if you don't know what flannel graph is, flannel graph is basically a very inexpensive way to tell stories for generally children. It's got a hard backing with some type of a picturesque scene, and you have images that can stick to it, and they can be taken off week after week. And sometimes, not saying this happens a lot, but sometimes that background gets used for multiple things. Let's go to the next slide. So who is this? How do you know it's Noah? There's an ark, yeah. How else do you know it's Noah? You got a rainbow, you got animals, you got an ark. Now, what's the name of that river? Anybody know the name of that river? That's actually the Jordan River. Because next week, Jesus is going to get baptized in that Jordan River. <laughs> That's the way flannel graph works. <laughs> Fixed background, you change the story depending upon who you affix to the background. All right, let's go to the next slide. Who is this teaching? Jesus. Who's he teaching? Did I tell you that? No. You just kind of look at the picture. You know that's who it is, right? Now, I've never understood why Jesus looks like he's a real estate agent showing off property. In all flannel graph, this is what he looks like. He's got this kind of, yep, here we go. This is where we are. And they're all attentively paying attention. Did the disciples ever really all pay attention? Not really. Not if you read the scripture, they didn't. This is like the worst flannel graph picture ever, but this is how we were generally taught things went. Let's go to the next slide. There's Jesus again. Now, what's the story here? Fish? You see any fish? I don't see fish. There's a pond in the background. Where's the fish? In the basket. What else is in the basket? Some bread in the basket. It's because you know your Bible. Flannel graph. This is how this works. We've talked about famous people have flannel graph, right? Let's go to the next one. Now, this is kind of how flannel graph was used at, at my church growing up. We had these sometimes very large displays. And I don't know if you can tell what that black object is on the left. It's kind of obscuring uh, one of the guys right there. But that's actually a microphone stand. This set of flannel graph is probably 6 or 8 feet high and probably at least 12 to 15 feet wide. Big flannel graph. There's like heavy investment in flannel graph here. Okay? So you can tell lots and lots of different stories with flannel graph, but only... Only the Bible heroes got flannel graph. Because when you switch gears in the middle of verse 35 in Hebrews 11, I've never seen flannel graph for somebody getting sawn in two. They don't sell that. They don't sell flannel graph for scourgings and whippings. They don't sell flannel graph for sheepskins and goatskins. And that, that's not a description of things that they wore because that's what they wanted to wear. This was a torture technique. 
they would get sheepskins and goatskins wet and they would wrap them around the bodies of believers and they would send them off into the desert. And as they dried out, they would slowly suffocate to death. There's not pretty pictures. There's no flannel graph for that. So this morning, we're going to look at some people as we move beyond the flannel graph with Jesus doing his show and tell real estate work here. If you ever are, an, if you're an artist, don't draw Jesus this way, okay? I mean, let's just sidebar here for a second. He, no, just no, we won't do that. All right, so, um, so the first section is God gave faithful heroes. The second is God gave faithful what? What do you think? Others, yes, faithful others. And these, these lives are reminders that life isn't always clean and neat, and we have a real enemy who is fighting for keeps. There are stories with tragic earthly endings and stories that sometimes that we struggle to understand, but far more often in the Bible, I can relate to the others than I can to those listed in Hebrews 11. Because there's never been in a time in my life where I had a couple million people following me and we walked through a dry riverbed. I've followed some people through some pretty crazy things before. I can relate to that. I know some people that have done some pretty heroic things. I've been alongside and helped somebody out from time or two when they did some awesome stuff. But I don't remember doing things like those guys in Hebrews 11 did. I can relate to the others. So which category do you think we fall into? Are we the Bible heroes or are we the Bible others? We're the others, yes. Hi, my name's Other. That's your next blank, Other. We're the others. Because the Bible... We sometimes think that the Bible is about these heroes. The Bible's really not about the heroes. The Bible's really not about the others either. The Bible's about something, actually someone, much, much better. I want us to watch a video here for just a second. And this is an adaptation of Tim Keller's work that he gave at the Gospel Coalition back in 2007. So if we could pull that video up, that'd be great. If you ever wonder what the Bible is about, the Bible is about Jesus. Mr. Miller, it's Max's fourth birthday today, right? Can you do me something special? Can you make sure when you tell him the story of David and Goliath, you never tell him that he is David? He is not David in the story of David and Goliath. You know who he is in the story of David and Goliath? He's Saul. We're back behind enemy lines, hiding, and my Redeemer is out fighting. Don't tell your kids that God is in their corner. God is not in their corner. God is out in the middle of the ring knocking stuff out because we are wounded and broken back on the stool. God is not our co-pilot. He is the pilot. We're in the back of the plane on a stretcher. That's who we are. And that's who he is. The Bible is about Jesus. And I'm going to take a moment right now to step aside from what I had prepared to talk about and talk about something for about two minutes that happened on Friday. Y'all know what happened on Friday, right? The Supreme Court of the United States of America said that sin is legal. As plainly as I can say it. And here's the problem with that. The problem with making sin legal in that way and saying marriage is something other than a covenant relationship between one man and one woman is that is an affront against Jesus because when God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden way back when he brought them together as man and wife bride and groom 
for a much larger purpose than just Adam's loneliness. Because thousands of years later, when Jesus shows up, God is going to take that relationship and say that relationship that we all understand, that we can all relate to, that we all at least have seen at some point in our lives, that relationship is how Jesus relates to his church. And when we change this, we change this. And the reason that we can't change the definition of marriage is because it changes the bride of Christ and the groom that is Christ. When we go messing with things that are that fundamental, it changes God's purpose for what he designed thousands of years ago. It's not about the sin. It's about the gospel. That's why this is a problem. So even marriage is about Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? It is, I did not come up with that. I read that this week. So <laughs> I'm not that smart. Everything is about Jesus. I love the others in the Bible. They, to me, are the fascinating characters in Scripture. And I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read about a very small... All that was the introduction. Does that work? Does that work? Thumbs up? Yeah? All that was the introduction. We're going to read about a small group of others that come together to help somebody that makes no sense whatsoever. Makes no sense. And as we go through this story, I want us to remember the Bible isn't about them. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. We're going to come back to that. So Acts chapter 9. We start off in Acts chapter 9 with a guy named Saul. He's walking down a road to Damascus. And he sees a great... You know your Bible? He sees a great... Light, yes. What happens then? He goes blind and he accepts Christ. It's a beautiful day. The gospel at work in the power of a man's life. Fast forward a few verses. Verses 10 through 19. A man named Ananias, who I think this is one of the most beautiful pictures of Christian love in the entire Bible. A man named Ananias comes and finds Saul and befriends him. And the Greek word that is used for what Ananias does literally means to put his arm around and to introduce him to other people. Now I want to tell you about this man named Saul. This man named Saul was guilty of a crime. And if, if we took him to court today for what he did then, he would be charged with genocide. That's the word that we would use. That's what we would charge him with. Because he had government backing to kill people for their religious beliefs. It's definition of genocide. And Ananias obeys the word of the Lord, goes and finds Saul, puts his arm around him, and introduces him to people in the church. So let's picture this scene for just a second. Somebody who has murdered your friends, your family, comes walking through those doors. And Charles Alexander has got his arm around him. That's the power of the gospel. See, the gospel's for everyone. It is the most non-discriminating thing in the history of the world. It is for the worst sinner, and it's for the sinner who thinks they're not the worst sinner. Because we have those days too, right? The gospel is for everyone. So Ananias introduces Saul. He meets friends, becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in verses 20, 21, and 22, Saul preaches 
So he's gone from persecuting to preaching. It's a beautiful thing. And then we meet him in verse 23. And most commentators think that there's actually about a three-year gap between verse 22 and verse 23. If you have a study Bible, it may mention that. Saul may have gone to Arabia for a couple of years to learn more about Jesus, the right way to relate to Jesus. And if he did, then he's only been a believer for less than three and a half years. If he didn't, he's only been a believer for a few months. And verse 23 happens. Let's look at verse 23. It says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews, and this is, at this time they were enemies of Christianity, they plotted to kill Saul. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Sean, can you help me out for a sec? Um, I brought a crew of guys with me this morning. We travel as a group. We're cool like that. We have t-shirts and everything. Um, we don't. That was a joke. I told you the jokes weren't going to get better. It's all right. So this word for watched, this is what this word means. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? A little bit? Why don't you move around a little bit? They watch the gates. You know why they watch the gates? Saul's in the city. And how do you leave a city? Through the gates. That's why they built the gate. <laughs> so you wouldn't have to climb the wall. Really basic Bible architecture here, okay? They're watching the gates. And what are they trying to do? What do they want to do? They want to kill him, yeah. Verse 25, then the disciples. I missed their names. What are their names? They're the others, right? Here's the others. They show up. And the disciples took Saul by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Now, this word for, this Greek word for let him down, it's actually got a really long definition. I'll read you the whole thing. It says, send or let down from a higher place to a lower place by slackening or loosening something. So if you're in a basket and you're in a high place and you need to get to a lower place and we're going to slacken or loosen something, what would we use? A rope, yes. Somebody this morning said a chain. It's in the middle of the night. We're trying not to make noise, right? Let's not use clang, 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 clang. Not good. They used a rope. They tie a rope around it, and they let him out. Now, a quick word about biblical architecture. The wall around the city was actually not just one wall. It was two walls. And houses were built on the inside of the space between those two walls. So these guys are sitting together, and they come up with this idea or they remember to the Old Testament, because this was done twice in the Old Testament. The spies that Joshua sent into Jericho, Rahab let them out over the wall through a window. And David, King David, also David, remember? Also David was let out by his wife through a window. So they either knew the Old Testament or they came up with a crazy idea. But they put him in a basket and out he went. Now, the thing that I struggle with sometimes is that it, there are times that we tell our children about, watch me, Bible stories. And we tell them in a way that it doesn't feel like it actually happened. And sometimes I believe that we need a very concrete visual to remind us this actually happened. Let's talk about it that way. So, you ready guys? Let's do it. I went to Lowe's yesterday and purchased, oh yeah, we're going there. 
I went to Lowe's yesterday and purchased this container. This container is rated to hold several hundred pounds. I think it's like a 300, 350 pounds. I'm not 350 pounds. We have rope that is rated to hold 400 pounds. I'm not 400 pounds. There are carabiners on the outside of this container that are rated to hold about 250 The 300-pound carabiners are really expensive. I didn't want to spend that much money, so we went with the 250-pound ones. And this is uh, some of my friends. I'm not going to tell you their, their names because they're my others. Now, at this point in the Hickson campus, there were about 40 phones out. <clears throat> so I want you to picture this scene for just a second. So Saul's getting in the basket. He's in the basket. They're about, yeah, they're about to, you're clapping, here we go, right? They're about to close the lid. What do you think's going through his mind? I think a lot of things are going through his mind at that point. Are we sure about this? Check that rope. Rope didn't have any problems, did it? Like we're good on that? Now, y'all ready? Okay. Um, I want to ask a question before they put me over. Here's my question. Does anybody object to what we're about to do? Some of y'all are like, no, this is awesome. I'm going to get like a thousand Facebook likes for this. <laughs> did, yes, Julie knows actually. Yeah. Did, did I see a hand? You object? Why do you object? This is crazy. Yes, this is, I'm not going over this. You are crazy. You think I'm going over this. We are not doing this. No, 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 no. Not at all. This, thank you for objecting. I appreciate that. This is as long as we've gone before somebody objected so far, in case you're wondering. So, Thanks, RL. I appreciate your help there, buddy. Thank you. Now, we would never do this. This is nuts. I want you to think about the state of mind that these folks were in to get to this point. This was their last option. Now, sometimes, I'm going to get out of this, my heart's racing too much. Sometimes we look at situations, thank you guys, we look at situations like this and we say, well, that was kind of cowardly going out the back window and doesn't feel like we're standing up for the gospel. Well, in Matthew 10, 23, Jesus actually says, when they persecute you in one city, flee to another city. You know why he says that? He says that because the message is more important than the messenger. The message has to get out. So back to my question when I was standing in the container. What was going through Saul's mind? What do you think is going through his mind? What do you think is going through his mind? I'll tell you what I think is going through his mind. Don't let go of the rope! Because if they let go of the rope, we have a mess. We have a very, very, very bad mess. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the rope holders. I want to talk to you about what it takes to lean in and engage and help somebody. So these rope holders, they did their job successfully. You know why I know they did their job successfully? Because we don't read that Saul limped to his next city. He got there just fine. So a couple of things that they did. Here's the next blank. They had choice. They chose to risk their lives.
They chose to meet in the middle of the night. They chose to love this man. I asked Charles Alexander, is he out? I don't see him. Is he out in the lobby? He's at, of course he's out in the lobby, right? Because he's counting everybody out there. Um, I love that man to death. He, he comes in on Wednesday nights whenever I'm in a class on Wednesday nights. And there'll be like six people in the room that I'm in. And he'll say, how many you got? 42. <laughs> and he'll... He gives me that look and he just shakes his head. And I love that man. I asked him one time what the most powerful thing in the world was. And he told me it was choice. Because when we decide to go and do something, things change as a result of that. These guys made a choice to hold that rope. Two is courage. They risked their lives for Saul's sake. Because when those Jews were looking for Saul, if they'd have captured those guys while they were doing this, guess what would have happened to them? They'd all died. Everybody holding that rope would have died. It's pretty courageous, if you ask me. These guys had 1 John 3.16 type love. It says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And 1 John 3.16 isn't some metaphor for something else. It literally means I am to let myself be killed for my brothers. Now, in America, we have not really thought that that was anywhere close. We haven't really felt like, uh, that's maybe on the doorstep. We're getting closer. And there will come a day, because the Bible guarantees it, that persecution will be very, very real. And when it comes, we are commanded to be obedient and to hold the rope. Can't make it any simpler than that. They had choice. They had courage. Number three, they had strength. I don't know the last time you picked up a grown man. They're heavy. Yeah. Even if you've got several people, it takes strength. Remember, this was 20, 30 feet up. That's a lot of rope holding on the way down. Because if he descends too quickly, you have a problem. Right? See, these guys were not too tired from their own work to do the hard work of rope holding. They weren't exhausted. They were strong enough to actually do what Jesus needed to have done. See, Jesus wants our souls, but he also wants our bodies because we are his hands and his feet. And he's got us to use. Now, I'm not talking to you if you're going through a period of illness. I went through a period of illness this past week. I got an ear infection. It closed up, and I'm pretty sure the eardrum actually burst. It's really, really, really painful. But I went to the doctor, and they gave me some medicine. And I'm better. And I'm excited about being better. Because laying on my back with my head feeling like it's going to explode was not a lot of fun. And I was not in a position to hold too many ropes right then. But I can now. So if you're going through a period of illness, I'm not talking to you right now. But if you're going through a period of laziness, I am talking to you right now. Because I've had lots of periods of laziness in my life where I just want to sit on the couch and don't hold anybody's rope. And that's not what we're talking about. Let's ask Jesus to strengthen our hands to do the work that he's called us to do. And then number four is cooperation. Cooperation. This happened in the middle of the night. I'm guessing they didn't just all wake up on their own and meet at somebody's house. You ever just randomly woken up in the middle of the night and found yourself with a group of other people at somebody's house? No, it didn't work that way. Somebody had a plan, 
Somebody organized, somebody communicated, somebody brought the rope, somebody brought the basket, somebody told Saul, somebody comforted Saul, somebody told Saul again, somebody put their arm around Saul and said, we got you. Took a lot of cooperation. And the thing that I, the longer I've thought about this story, the thing that amazes me the most is it took cooperation after they were finished. Because when they were finished and he walked away, they couldn't talk about it. Because if they talked about it, they'd have been killed for it. So they had to cooperate in their silence as well, which is really scary for Christians because we like to talk about a lot of stuff. Mm, That was painful. Sorry, I had to say it. Cooperation. So you say, Jim, what's the big deal? What's the point? Why should I hold a rope? A couple points about this. Number one, I don't know who's in my basket. I don't know who's in my basket. See, that night, they had... A man who'd committed genocide in their basket. But he went on to be something a lot more than that. Don't let go of the rope. Number two, I might be the only one holding someone's rope. And if you're the only one holding on and you let go, it makes an awful big mess when that basket hits the ground. And then it takes a lot of people to come together. See, when someone's at the end of a rope, we better hold the other end. Number three... This is the part I like. Someone is holding my rope. I want us to think about everyone in our lives holding our ropes. And for most of us, for most of us on earth at least, it started with our parents. And it may have been a sibling, may have been a grandparent, may have been a friend, may have been a school teacher. Somebody came alongside and supported you and held your rope and walked with you through a period of time that was hard and difficult. And they were there for you. And that's a beautiful thing. And we get to do that for others. So I want to talk about my rope holders for just a minute. This is sitting on your handout. The first one for me is my wife. This is going to be really hard to believe, but I can be difficult to love at times. It's just amazing, isn't it? I can be. I can be really difficult to love. And she is faithful, and she is committed And she walks with me through this, and she keeps me from doing some spectacularly stupid things like actually getting in the container and going over the balcony (laughs) because I really, really, really wanted to do it. Some more of my rope holders are my 2 a.m. friends. You know why I call them 2 a.m. friends? Because when I call at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know what they're going to do? They're going to answer the phone. I'm going to learn everything I need to know about them when they do. I don't know if you've ever had a night where you needed a friend at 2 o'clock in the morning. I have. I've had more than one. And I've been the person on the receiving end of that phone call. And I hope you have 2 a.m. friends, somebody that's holding your rope that way. You know a great place to meet your 2 a.m. friends? Church. Church, yes. All four of the guys that were helping me up there, I met them at church. My best friends. It's a beautiful thing. I've got a couple other rope holders, my prayer warriors. My, uh, my mom became a believer a couple, of month, a couple of years before I was born. And somebody, she was a sponge. Anything anybody told her, she did it. I'm, I'm glad nobody told her like snake handling or stuff like that. that she, she, I mean, she was just obedient, all in, let's go do it. Somebody told her she ought to pray for her kids every single day of their life. I figured it up. Today is day 14,288 
in a row that she's prayed for me. That's a long rope. And that's pretty awesome. And I can stand here this morning doing something for the very first time in my entire life, speaking on a Sunday morning, because my mom is holding that rope. Now, I told this story a few years ago, about six years or so ago in my Sunday school class, and a lady named Darla Skinner, some of you all know Darla, she came up to me afterward and said, sounds like your mom needs some help. I'm going to pray for you every day too. I've got two. Beat that. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. They hold my rope. Now, I've left somebody off this list. And if you know me at all, you know that I'm not going to get very far into a lesson without talking about Jesus. Because Jesus, remember the true and better video? Jesus is the true and better rope holder. Because there will come a day when my wife, when my 2 a.m. friends, my mom or Darla let go. And it will be either intentionally or unintentionally, but there will be some problem that they are not able to hold on for. But Jesus will never let go. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. His hands are strong. His arm is mighty to save. His shoulders can bear the weight of the heaviest basket. His resolve is such that he will never, ever let go. Jesus is my true and better rope holder. And I am so thankful for him. But please understand that Jesus is only the true and better rope holder for the believer. He is not the true and better rope holder for the unbeliever. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, he is not holding your rope. And I don't know if you figured this out or not, but when you're in the basket, you can't hold your own rope. It's just not possible. We all need help. The gospel is the singularly most inclusive thing in the history of the universe because it is for everybody. Trust him. So you might ask, well, whose rope can I hold? I'm going to give you a couple ideas here. I'm going to jot these down in your notes. First rope that you can hold is the unbeliever's rope. I'm going to bet you work with somebody, are related to somebody, live in the same neighborhood as somebody, or know somebody who doesn't feel about Jesus like you do. Don't let go of that rope. You keep praying for them. You keep telling them about Jesus. Don't let go of that rope. Two, the believer's rope. I want you to look around for just a second. Look around the audience. Y'all a good-looking group. But you need help. And I need help. I couldn't even teach this lesson today by myself. I had to have four guys helping. I got somebody running PowerPoint. Thank you, Matt. You did a great job. I got somebody running sound. Thank you. You did a great job. We all need help. There are people holding ropes that we don't even know about. That we forget about sometimes. Hold the rope. Don't let go of the rope. If you're married, number three is your spouse. Now, this is a tough one for a lot of folks because some of us have had spouses that dropped the rope and walked away and didn't care about the mess. And I am sorry for that. 
I'm sorry if you've experienced that kind of pain. But if you're married right now, you dig in your heels, you strengthen your hands, and don't you dare let go of that rope. You hold on. It is worth it. Because just like when marriage gets redefined, it impacts the gospel. When we stay committed and true and faithful in our marriage relationships, it's a picture of how Jesus loves the church. Don't let go of the rope. Fourth option for you, kids. You've got kids? Hold on to the rope. We have an enemy who is described as a lion roaming around the earth looking to eat people. Boy, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Let's just say for a moment that the Chattanooga Zoo calls up the news and says, we just lost all of our lions. All the lions just got out. Can y'all put that on the air? Yeah, absolutely. We'll put that on the air. News anchor comes up. Hey, the lions are all roaming the streets. I'm going to bet nobody in this building takes that moment and says, kids, go play outside. (laughs) What? No, we're going to protect them. Remember what happened on Friday? It's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. And if you don't think it is, we're deceiving ourselves. We have experienced a very long period of religious freedom in America. It may be coming to an end. And if it is, guess what? The Bible is still true. Obedience is still required. And we will hold the rope. We will be the generation that will be faithful through whatever. Resolve now to do that. So there's four areas that you can hold the rope for. So you say, well, what do I do with that? I want to get really, really specific. So if I've been unclear up to this point, I want to clear it up for you. Number one, hold my brother's rope. That's as plain and simple as I can make it. See, rope holding is a great way to love people because I love faithful hands. I love faithful hands who show up early and prepare. I love faithful hands who serve. I love faithful hands who actually stick around and clean up. That is necessary from time to time. I love faithful hands, but rope holding is very, very difficult. Rope holding will give you blisters. Rope holding will give you cramped hands. Rope holding will give you sore shoulders. Don't let go of the rope. Don't let go of the rope. There's somebody in that basket that needs you. Number two, hold my sister's rope. I'm going to try to be as inclusive as I can here. We're going to cover everybody. See, rope holding is worth it because of the people in the basket. Because of the people in the basket. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs help. We are called many things in the Scripture. Christians is one of them, but I think we could also be called people of the basket. We're kind of basket cases like that. You were thinking it. I'm just going to say it for you. Because we've all been in the basket. We have all had times where we needed somebody to hold the rope. Right now in your life, you are experiencing a moment where you need someone to hold the rope. And we get to be that for people. And lest you think that I am preaching some type of works salvation. Actually, I kind of am preaching a works salvation. I think I do believe in a works salvation. I think Jesus worked and we get to enjoy it. How's that for you? 
He did the work. The last blank here for you is beheld by Jesus. Please don't think that this is a work hard and Jesus will love you message. Jesus loves you, period. If you're obedient, Jesus loves you. If you're disobedient, Jesus loves you. If you had a really good day today and you glorified him appropriately, Jesus loves you. If you did not and almost murdered your children on the way here, Jesus loves you. He does. He's the true and better rope holder. Trust him to hold the rope. He can do it. And the beautiful thing is, he wants to. It's not just a, oh, there's nobody else in the universe that'll do it today. I guess I better do that. He is ready and willing and the only one who is able to do it. Amen? Amen. Pray with me if you will. Father, we thank you for your big, beautiful plan of redemption. We thank you for sending Jesus to hold our ropes. We thank you for the protection of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for being a faithful God. And many of us have come this morning wanting to hear from you. And I ask that during this time of invitation, you would speak to our hearts. Convict us where we have been ungrateful to you for faithful rope holders in our lives. Burden us with a strong desire to faithfully hold our brothers' and sisters' ropes. And help us to see what a beautiful Savior Jesus is for eternal faithfulness in holding our ropes. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this is an opportunity for anyone that would like to learn more how to be a child of God, how to be a part of the family of others and rope holders that I've been talking about this morning, part of the family that God holds. This is also a time for anyone that would like to come and join with us here at Stewart Heights. Maybe you want to be baptized. Whatever it is, you are welcome here and you have friends here at the altar to help. Maybe you need to come forward this morning and thank God for a rope holder in your life. Maybe you need to come forward this morning and pray for God to strengthen your hands so that you can be the rope holder he would have you to be. Or maybe you just need to sit where you are and praise God for faithfully holding the rope of your life. As you stand now, I ask that you would just be obedient. Stand with me if you will. Thank <laughs> you.